Welcome to another episode of The Raven Narratives. I'm Tom Yoder. And I'm Sarah Severson, and we're the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. The story you're about to hear was told by John Kameller in September at our events at the Grand Imperial Hotel in Silverton and James Ranch north of Durango when the theme was water. We want to say a big thanks to the Silverton Theater Mind for helping us work with Silverton Storytellers. John lives in the woods between Mancus and Dolores with his wife and two dogs. A jack-of-all-trades, he has worked as a river guide, high school teacher, helicopter mechanic, general contractor, dog sled guide, and most recently as an archaeologist. John struggles daily with the ought-to-do and the want-to-do. If he had more time and more motivation, John would do more yoga and walk more miles. Here is John's story. I made the front page of the Anchorage Daily News the second time I was in a near-miss incident in an Army helicopter. In the, in the photograph, I'm leaning out the gunner's window of a UH-60 Blackhawk that's hovering about 10 feet off the ground over a, a snowcat, a groomer. And on top of the groomer, there's another soldier who's hooking up a sling load rig to the hook in the belly of the, of the Blackhawk. The U.S. ski team has a a training base on Eagle Glacier. Um, The Nordic squad trains there in the summer. Um, Eagle Glacier is about 10 miles north of the town of Girdwood, about 20 or 30 miles southeast of Anchorage down the Turnigan arm of Cook Inlet. And for reasons I've never known, um, the Alaska Army National Guard got the call to come sling load this groomer up their groomer had broken um, up on the glacier and somebody had got it off the glacier but they needed this new one up there was delivered to Girdwood and we got the call so once the the rig was hooked up um, and everybody was satisfied we came up to a high hover we were this thing was on a 110 foot long line so we came up to 110 feet and when we took the load under the power of the aircraft, I felt the, the sound and the vibration and the feel of the aircraft move from out in my extremities into my core, and the whole thing got dense. And by looking at the instrument gauges uh, in the cockpit and knowing the altitude and the temperature, uh, and the expected weight of, of the load, the pilot was able to tell that this load was heavier than we'd been told. Um, and he, you know, the, the pilots checked the tabulated data. They knew we were going up to 5,000 feet. They knew roughly what the temperature was going to be. And we had a brief discussion in the cockpit about whether or not we would continue with the mission. We were going to be within the parameters for, you know, being able to do what we felt we were going to need to be able to do. And so after a discussion, we, we decided that we would go ahead and continue with this mission. And so I sat back and I closed the window and we picked this thing up and started up the valley. And along with us was another, another helicopter full of press. Um, the pool photographer from the Anchorage Daily News that took my picture was there. The Army Times had a reporter there. Um, 
and some other other precedents. Some radio folks were there as well. It was going to be a, a feel good story about civilian military cooperation, how we're all coming together to get stuff done. And so as we were climbing up the valley, you know, when you've got that much weight underneath a helicopter, you're not jinking and jiving. You set a real steady rate of climb and a real straight course. But this other helicopter was, you know, weaving back and forth across the valley, taking pictures and things like that. And at some point, they gave us a radio call and said, hey, check it out. You guys are making contrails. And, um, you know, contrary to the Facebook meme, contrails are just the water vapor in uh, jet exhaust that that condenses into visible vapor at, you know, certain temperatures and ambient humidities. And of the eight of us air crew, you know, there are four in each helicopter. None of us had ever seen a helicopter make contrails before. So we remarked on that and that was pretty, pretty cool. Um, and then the other helicopter scooted ahead of us to check out the conditions in the landing zone. There'd been a fresh snow lately uh, within the last couple of days and they wanted to make sure that we, uh, the, the conditions on the landing zone were going to be good for us to, to do what we needed to do. So the Eagle Glacier is a big U-shaped valley that tips slightly northwest. And the training base was over here. It's, it's about a mile and a half across. The training base is over here, and we came up into the valley here. And when we popped over the rim, the other helicopter was already over the LZ, the landing zone. And I could see this big cloud of blowing snow. And they called and said, hey, we whited out at 80 feet. You guys are going to need to take a go around. And so we dropped down into this valley and went down valley. And, you know, we made a big circuit. And the, the, the Eagle Glacier is raw and brand new. The mountains there are young. They're sheer rock, and they were towering over our heads. So we're flying through this majesty of the Chugach Mountains in South Central Alaska. It was, you know, it was one of those moments. Um, and so I'm sitting on the left side of the helicopter, and we're making a left-hand turn. So I'm looking out across this, this glacial basin the entire time. And as we start our, our, uh, our crosswind leg to come in on our approach, I notice that it's starting to fog up in this valley. And I made a radio or an intercom call. I said, hey, down valley, it's starting to fog up, um, just so you're aware. And my job as a crew chief was I was responsible for everything behind the pilot's door on my side of the helicopter. I was making sure that there was nothing there that the pilot didn't know about or that we didn't want there. And so... I made this call and we came around and the other helicopter was still blowing a lot of snow and they're, you know, working back and forth trying to blow the snow out, but there's a lot of snow in the air and we need to take another go around. And we head down Valley again and I'm watching it just get thicker and thicker. And we turn our downwind leg and it's getting thicker. And when we make our crosswind leg to come in, I lost sight of the landing zone. And I called out and said, hey, I can't see the LZ. Um, we're going to want to make this happen right now. Um, I'm not feeling very comfortable. And one of the things that, that we did, you know, in all the units that I, I served in, we were all real respectful of each other's comfort zones. We, we, 
this was all, you know, non-war times. So there's no reason to put anybody at risk for any of this. And we all agreed that, you know, we were getting a little uncomfortable with the weather conditions. And so we started, we turned our, our approach and we just lost sight of everything. The, the whole valley went away. And the pilot said, hey, here's what we're going to do. I've got a hole. I can see the glacier. We're going to put this thing on the glacier and they can ski out and drive it back. I see some snow machine tracks. Do you guys all see that? Yes, we all looked out. We could see the snow machine tracks. I'm going to put them on the snow machine tracks. That's what we're going to do. Everybody comfortable? Yes, we're all comfortable. All right, we're at 300 feet. Here we go. And we came in and started slowing down from our part, for our approach, and the hole closed. And suddenly, I was blind, and I smashed my head into the gunner's window, and I'm looking up, and I watched the last bit of blue sky close up back behind us and I called out I'm blind I'm blind and I heard the pilot say get rid of it get rid of it and there was this clunk and I'm got my face mashed in the window all right up and left come up and left I had blue sky at seven o'clock high come around up and left and the whole time I'm thinking you know am I going to see this I'm going to see it coming are we going to have time to try something are we just going to be floating along and And then we popped into the blue. And the valley was full of cloud, like, like a big bowl of whipped cream. And there wasn't a cloud in the rest of the sky. And what we realized on our trip back as we were talking about what happened was when we came in, when we whited out, the pilot pulled in power and we, he was trying to get us to climb straight up, but a helicopter takes a lot more power to hover than it does to fly. And when he tried to yank it straight up, we, we were taking too, bite of, too big a bite of the air with the rotor blades. They were taking too much. And the blades started to stall, and the rotor speed started to drop, and we started falling out of the sky. So we started that maneuver at 300 feet. And by the time he told the other crew chief to punch off the load we were at 200 feet and it took as much time as me telling it to you for that to happen so we were getting drug out of the sky by this load so it was a 110 foot long line and when we cut it loose it was at about 100 or so feet and when when the snowcat hit the glacier it was destroyed. In fact, the caption under my picture says, 10 minutes later, it was a pile of junk. <laughs> and what we also realized was that we'd done it to ourselves. The contrails that we were making, we had seeded the bowl. The, the temperature and the humidity was just right that our contrails grew into a fog bank, like, like a salt crystal growing in a glass. And we'd made the fog that almost killed us. <laughs> so I, I flew in, in helicopters uh, in the Army National Guard for the better part of 14 years. Uh, in Colorado, in Alaska, deployed for a year in Kosovo. And I got to do some really fun stuff. I landed on the summit of the second largest peak in Colorado. Um, I flew over the summit of Denali been out to the Bering Sea and all over the wilds of interior Alaska, down the Dalmatian coast of Croatia. 
I had a lot of fun, you know, working with a, a, a small group of dedicated professional people to do something dangerous and exciting. That really gets right into the middle of me, who I am. It was a lot of fun until it wasn't. Thank you, John, for telling that story. Our next storytelling event will be a story slam with the theme of family on November 30th at the Sunflower Theater in Cortez and December 1st at the Durango Arts Center. To pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives event, fill out the contact form on our website at ravennarratives.org. We are currently looking for storytellers for our upcoming events in February of 2019 when the theme will be love. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and share these stories with your friends. Thanks to our photographer, McCarson Lee of Red Scarf Shots. Check out the portraits of our storytellers on the gallery page of the Raven Narratives website, and be sure to visit her website at redscarfshots.com. And thanks also goes to our fiscal nonprofit sponsor, Mancus Valley Resources. Find out more about all the wonderful projects they support in the Mancus Valley of Colorado at mancusvalleyresources.com. The website for buying Raven Narratives tickets, ravennarrativestickets.org, was created by Cortez Web Services. Find out how they can help your business online at cortezweb.com. And finally, our theme music was written, composed, and performed by Jazar. And you can find out more about his music on SoundCloud or at freemusicarchive.org. Now for an outtake. <laughs> John lives in the woods between Mancus and Dolores with his wife and two dogs. A jack-of-all-trades, he's worked as a river guide, high school teacher, helicopter mechanic, general contractor, dog said... <laughs> dog said... That's a, that's that a thing. In there. That's totally a thing. Dog said guide. <laughs> go there. Yeah, I told you, go dog. There. Dog <laughs> said to go there. <laughs> that's kind of what it is, actually. Mm-hmm. All right, let's try that again.